0: Digging the Rock and Roll Heaven Podcast with LD Will the Thrill and (coughs) TJ2.
1: guys welcome to rock and roll heaven the podcast where we talk about the lives careers and deaths of famous musicians i am your host ld along with me for the ride as always is will the thrill
2: hey hey,
1: and our storyteller today tj2 the deuce hi 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 <laughs> uh, and uh we would like to give a hearty hello hi how you doing and a happy birthday to mr david bowie on this day we're actually recording this well in advance of when it's actually going to be released but and and maybe it will be available in some form or another, but it's, it's supposed to be David Bowie's seventy fourth birthday, and uh, they're holding a huge concert for him, which I didn't know about till the the deuce told me this. So uh, what do you know about it, T?
3: That it's a a concert is a thing where people play music. Does okay. that help?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> yes, and, and we miss them sorely.
1: Yeah, I remember those. It's it's where you I- can watch people vomit in the parking
2: lot, right?
3: Yes, yeah, where you can watch. You know, people, you know, uh, couples lovingly holding one another's hair while they yak into a drainage ditch or something.
2: Yeah. That's part of the charm.
3: Yeah, this is the furthest we've ever gotten into a David Bowie discussion on the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast without LD mentioning the word codpiece. So I really, I really feel like we've taken a step forward, can and not, that's good.
1: Can you not see how red my face is? <laughs> <laughs> it's, hang on. Hang on.
4: <laughs>
1: codpiece. Okay.
4: All right. Good. Oh, God, good. I
1: feel so much better. We're good? Uh, sidebar, the other day I was playing uh, with my Spotify, and uh, I pulled up my Spotify, because play- they, they at, at about the year's end, they do like a Spotify year review. and they put all the ones that you've listened to, all the songs that you've listened to, into a playlist. And so I pulled my playlist up, not even realizing it, and so I played the first song, and then the second song, and then the third song, and then Honey. What was the fourth song that came up as the most played on my Spotify
2: playlist? The fourth song on the 2020 playlist for L.D. was none other than Blinded, Blinded by, by the Light, light, by, the light, light by, by Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Band. <laughs> that is our federally mandated reference wow. to Manfred Mann and his Earth Band. <laughs> yes, our federally
3: mandated Manford Man, Earth Band, reference to the podcast. I had actually written one in, but now I can leave it out. It was a little, <laughs> it was a for, it was a tad forced and extraneous, so.
2: Oh, good. <laughs> and that wasn't?
3: <laughs> well, oh, that clearly was, but.
2: <laughs>
3: Look,
1: there are going to be, be episodes this year that just at the end, will be like, thanks for listening, guys. And by the way, Manford Man's Earth Band, and that'll be it. All right, so. If all our business is done, I think, sir, we are jumping right into episode three of Mr. Edward Van Halen.
3: Correct. And on
2: the verge of a paradigm shift, if I'm not mistaken.
3: uh, We certainly are. So part one was early life, right up to the recording of the first album. Part two essentially was the entire first Dave era. We left off at the end of part two. If I remember right, with the band coming off the road from the 1984 tour, Dave releases Crazy from the Heat, and things were contentious. <laughs> A running theme for the remainder of Van Halen's existence.
2: Not so, Dave.
3: Tensions running high. So well, I guess we can pick it up right there. Sounds good to me. Yep. All right. So. The date was May 16th, 1985. Late Night with David Letterman was wrapping up a week of shows outside its normal confines of New York in Los Angeles, California. Sitting in that night with Paul Schaefer in the band was none other than Eddie Van Halen. He played a number of Van Halen standards going into and coming out of commercial breaks and a version of Cream's Sunshine of Your Love while Letterman interviewed the likes of Johnny Carson and Lee Marvin.
2: Well, Lee Marvin was there?
3: Lee Marvin was one of the guests that night. At one point, Letterman tried to convince Eddie to return the following Monday. Unable to get the guitarist to come to New York, where the show would be uh, back in its normal digs, Letterman uh, jokingly asked, so uh, does Dave get on your nerves? (laughs) Eddie laughed and hid his face behind his guitar, but he never actually answered. Now, that probably seemed like a a pretty funny little gag, but in retrospect, a non-answer was actually very telling. The charismatic lead singer and the guitar god had, in fact, already decided to go their separate ways, which left the future of the biggest band in the world in serious question, though the public did not yet know it. Now, we could probably do an entire podcast, and I'm sure people probably have, just parsing through the various versions of the David Lee Roth leaves Van Halen story. Oh, yeah. The most consistent version of the story seems to go something like this, though. The band had wrapped up a successful but extremely contentious tour on the 1984 album. Roth announced that he was releasing a solo EP of four cover songs. Early in the year, he told Billboard magazine, quote, since my very first days in with the band 11 years ago, I've always had the feeling that one day I would wake up in a cold hotel. All the rooms would be empty and I would be stuck by a phone with a busy signal. From the first day, nothing has changed. Now he seemed to walk back the stridency of that statement a little bit later, saying during his own Letterman appearance that the band would be back together later in the year. He said in another interview that the band would be back in the studio soon, quote, arguing, and we all look forward to that. He said he'd also heard, quote, some great music coming out of Eddie's new 5150 studio.
4: Hmm.
3: Per a recent Rolling Stone article, there were actually some rehearsals on what was to be the band's next album, Rolf said there were, quote, constant delays and screaming, and Eddie noted that, quote, the chemistry had turned rotten. In March, Eddie and Rolf held a private meeting at Rolf's Pasadena Mansion to discuss the future of the band. Rolf balked, uh, balked at Eddie's suggestion that after years of nonstop touring, the band could play fewer shows but in large outdoor stadiums. Rolf, by this time, had been offered a deal to write and star in a movie to be called Crazy from the Heat. He asked Eddie to score the film, which the guitarist took as an extreme insult. Eddie later told Rolling Stone that Roth proclaimed, quote, I can't work with you guys anymore. I want to do my movie. Maybe when I'm done, we'll get back together. There were allegations from Roth that the rest of the band didn't want to tour and allegations from Eddie that Roth didn't want to get in the studio and work on a new record. Whatever was said included David Lee Roth quitting Van Halen. (laughs) Now, you have to understand this is early 1985. Van Halen is the biggest band in the world. They're coming off... Their biggest album, one of the biggest albums in a year full of giant blockbuster albums, 1984, which has since sold 17 million copies.
2: Which, can you just imagine for a moment what it would be like if it came out on any other year? I mean, just yeah, right. think about that. It could have been tremendous. It, but that was Thriller and the Footloose soundtrack
3: and Purple Rain and Sports by Huey Lewis and the News and was that a, just on and on but so they've just about this huge no, 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 huge no, no. successful tour, huge successful album.
1: H- hang on, hang on, T. No. Yeah. That, that that sound yeah. was just think about how much talent was in that lineup that he just said. It, it's a bonkers, yeah. That was not at Huey Lewis. <laughs> Huey Lewis is incredible. A
3: god. Huey Don't, Lewis, there will be no Huey slander in my presence. Th-
1: no, 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 you've got three very willing, uh, people on this podcast that will fight for Huey Lewis's honor. Yeah. If I have to take up arms against someone that besmirches the good name of Huey Lewis, I will.
3: But you also have to understand that Van Halen was the ultimate in cool. Uh, I mean, they were notorious for the hedonism for the, and for the crazy antics and for the drugs and the girls and the brown Eminem m claws and all this stuff. They, <laughs> they were the band who teenage boys stenciled the the Van Halen logo on their notebook and stuff. I mean, they, they, they were, it's not an exaggeration at the time, they were the biggest band on the planet. Valerie Bertinelli wrote in her autobiography that Eddie was crushed and said that he didn't know what he was going to do once Dave announced he was leaving. He later told journalist Steve Rosen, quote, he really hurt me at the height of our career. When you work together at something that long and someone just pulls the plug on you, that's, you know, kind of cruel. Eddie officially broke the news to the band's legion of fans in Rolling Stone in August of 1985. Quote, the band as you know it is over. Dave left to be a movie star. He even had the balls to ask me to write the score to his movie. I'm looking for a new lead singer. It's weird. It's over. 12 years of my life putting up with his bullshit. So that statement almost sounded like a one ad.
2: Uh, Yeah, I would say, I mean, airing of the dirty laundry aside, it's right. letting people know that uh we've got a vacancy you know right wanted charismatic lead man yeah yes preferred songwriter yeah Pre- yes preferred songwriter writer and vocalist likes touring won't bring a tank to the concert <laughs> right
3: i still marvel that in part two they had a tank
2: yes that is quite impressive and, do-
3: and as i've prepared to do the final episode in this 80 series that army vehicles end up playing a larger role than I imagined. And I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) As it turns out, there were actually way more candidates than most people realize or are aware of to be the lead singer of Van Halen. Eddie actually envisioned a scenario where his friend, Patty Smythe from The Uh band Scandal would replace David Lee Roth. A female lead singer would certainly have been an interesting turn. I'm imagining the music would have been a hair different. Don't know that Pound Cake would have gotten recorded.
2: <laughs> hey, I, I like
3: Pound Cake. I like Pound Cake too. It would sound odd with Patty singing it, but. Uh,
2: it, yeah, that, that would sound a bit strange.
3: Yeah, it, that, so it would have been really interesting. And, now, and just just to, to get this out there, I, I'm a fan of Patty Smythe.
2: Oh, what's not
3: to love? I, I like Patty Smythe. I like Scandal, had some great songs. Her first two solo albums were actually really, really good. I, I like Patty Smythe. That just seems like a weird fit to me. Does 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 that seem like a thing that would have worked to you?
2: I re see. Here's the problem: the history that's been written is so hard to steer away from. The Van Halen we know, with David Lee Roth, and then with Sammy Hagar, is so iconic. It's like saying, "What if John Lennon wasn't in the Beatles? Could right. it have worked? Maybe." It's just really hard to
3: envision. Sure. Yeah. So that would have been uh, an interesting turn, but it is probably not one that Eddie's wife, Valerie Bertinelli, would have embraced.
2: Perhaps not, no.
3: <laughs> she wrote later that she believed Eddie was actually in love with Patty and that they were having an affair. Okay. Eddie uh-huh. would apparently say things to his wife like, quote, your hair looks cute like that. That's how Patty does hers. Uh-huh. And the like. Got it. When, when the two women met many years later, Smythe assured Bertinelli that her relationship with Eddie was completely platonic, however. Smythe declined the invitation, telling Stereogum, quote, They were heavy drinkers. I don't drink. She also didn't want to leave New York for Los Angeles. And she was worried about dealing with the near constant fighting between Eddie and Alex. Had he just asked her to make a record with the band, as opposed to joining Van Halen in an official capacity, she said that she would have said yes. So then we move on to other candidates. Another one, remarkably, was blue-eyed soulster Daryl Hall. As in Hall Hall and Oates? Uh Uh-huh. She's a man-eater.
1: Oh, calling Oats is the best thing ever. Oh, what is that number, by the way? Oh, I've got it. We have it's to endorse you.
2: Sorry, I know it's Sorry. Yes. Sorry.
1: Uh, so, uh, hang on, T. we've got to endorse this.
2: <laughs> I know what's coming. Oh, oh, yeah, and it's a beautiful <clears throat> thing.
3: It's a beautiful thing that in this day and time, it still exists.
1: Okay, if you call 719-266-2837, you'll be greeted with... Welcome to calling Oats. Your emergency hall and Oates helpline. To hear one-on-one, please press one. To hear it girl, please press two.
4: To hear Manita, please press three. To hear pipe
2: I mean, if that, <laughs> if, if that doesn't up <coughs> again nothing will. It's just, it's hopeless.
1: So happy this exists.
3: Me too. I can't tell you. I, I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Uh, again okay. yeah. sorry with the deviation but but you understand that, why. Yeah. that in the year 2021 there is a phone line dedicated to callers being able to access three hollow note songs by pushing a button yeah like, there's nothing that there's nothing i can think of that makes me happier than that
2: yeah it's amazing
3: yeah
1: no P- pomeranians but they're not musical so yeah this is it that's it
3: that's yeah it. that's pretty much it But Daryl Hall confirmed this story during an episode of Live from Daryl's House in 2015. Of course, his career with Hall & Oates was still flourishing at that point. I don't know if they'd set the hotline up yet, but um, he too declined. There were legitimate talks at one point that would have involved the band collaborating with The Who's Pete Townsend. What? The degree to which that much amazing guitar would have melted the faces of audiences is pretty fun to think about, but it never happened. Because Eddie lost Pete's phone number.
2: <laughs> what? <laughs> How do you lose yeah. Pete? Pete Townsend's phone number? You still have Bill Paxton's phone number. That's true. Yes. See, these things don't get lost.
3: No,
1: you keep, you hold on to the things you love. Oh my goodness.
3: Uh, there were apparently actual real discussions about Van Halen collaborating with Pete Townsend. Wow. Which is, would have been pretty amazing.
2: i oh, would have been something.
3: Another line of thought centered on the idea, at least initially, that maybe one person couldn't replace Rolf. Eddie tinkered with an all-star album concept that would have paired the group with multiple singers, including Joe Cocker and... um, uh, Will, will you cover L.D.'s ears real quick? Oh, okay, quick. Phil Collins.
1: I can hear that! You have small hands.
3: (laughs) So, what? (laughs) Tiny. (laughs) You have have tiny hands. I, I don't, they're normal size.
1: Well, maybe I just have big ears.
3: Circus folk. (laughs) have tiny
5: hands.
3: (laughs) Yeah, Joe Conker and Phil Collins would have been among the participants in this all-star Van Halen concept album. Steve Perry said that he actually got an exploratory phone call about that project, but that nothing ever came of it.
2: Even after the guacamole incident? Even after the guacamole
3: incident, correct. Eddie finally found his answer. In a place that man has gone for wisdom and guidance for eons. That being a garage for high-end Italian sports cars. I could see that. Sammy Hagar had just finished a lengthy and successful tour behind his platinum album VOA. His prized 1982 Ferrari was taken in for its first real tune-up to a man named Claudio Zampoli. While it sat in the garage, Eddie Van Halen brought his Lamborghini in for some work. Just, so Obviously just, a, just
2: to say that Claudio Zampoli is the guy you want working on your Ferrari. There's yes, no that's what
3: this is. Yes, a hundred percent. Eddie Van Halen brought his Lamborghini in for some work. Obviously, a fan of sports cars, which he sometimes reportedly drove on the Pacific Coast Highway at up to 150 miles per hour. Eddie noticed the Ferrari. Oh. Who, whose car is this? He asked. The response was, "It's Sammy Hagar's. You should call him and get him in the band." <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Yes. Now, the idea made a lot of sense for a couple of different reasons. Eddie and Alex Van Halen were both huge fans of the first Montrose album, on which Sammy Hagar sang lead. Eddie and Sammy had met backstage at a couple of music festivals and had hit it off, and producer Ted Templeman had actually toyed with the idea of replacing David Lee Roth with Sammy Hagar for Van Halen's first album. Eddie asked if Zampoli had Hagar's phone number. Zampoli gave it to him, and Eddie immediately walked into the main office of the garage to make the call to the Red Rocker. Uh Interestingly, Hagar had predicted that a call from Van Halen would come. He'd heard from his manager about Roth's departure before it was made public and told his wife right then, quote, they're going to call me, you watch. He reasoned that the only, quote, free agent rock singers at the time were Ozzy Osbourne, Ronnie James Dio, and himself. Uh He figured that he was the best fit of those three. He said that the call went something like, quote, I'm looking at your car right here, man. Why don't you come down and let's jam and join the band? Okay. Now, there is a side story that the band also talked to Eric Martin around the same time. Okay. He would go on to front Mr. Big a few years later. Wow. Okay. Because but, but had...
1: yeah, I, I never knew who actually fronted Mr. Big. I only saw the video for the Be With You. Yeah. The one? The one? one. Is it the one? Yeah.
3: The one? Yeah. To, the, yeah to, be, to Be With You.
1: Yeah. Which is a great song.
2: There are many hit, Right.
3: <laughs> yes, the medley of their many hit. They they had, I think, three or four, but that that's obviously the biggest one. But he had actually put out a solo album in early 1985. He supposedly had a conversation with Eddie in which he was given as pronounced a backhanded compliment as can be offered, with Eddie offering up, quote, Your album sucks, but you've got an incredible voice.
2: Huh, well, how about
3: that? I think you can leave the with faint praise off of that. the damning with praise <laughs> <Right. laughs> on that one.
2: Yeah, the, the classic no disrespect, as we say in Jersey. Right. You say no disrespect, they just insult the crap out of somebody.
3: Yes. <laughs> yeah, your album completely sucks ass, but you can sing. But you can sing, so good news there, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> you suck. Your album sucks high and tit, but you're not without your charms. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Apparently, they had actually arranged to audition Martin, but in the interim, he ran into Sammy Hagar who talked about his upcoming audition for Van Halen. According to Society of Rock, Martin got intimidated at the prospect of having to compete with a seasoned singer like Hagar and, quote, chickened out. So he just didn't show up. Oh, he just failed? He said he literally chickened out and never even went to the uh, audition. Hagar showed up to Eddie's 5150 studio in a pressed Armani jacket. Which decidedly put him in the quote, overdressed for the occasion category.
1: You know what? Mama always said it was better to be overdressed than underdressed, so.
3: Correct. But Hagar said the studio, quote, smelled like the worst bar on the planet, like an effing bar that hadn't been cleaned for a hundred years. Cigarette butts and ashes, empty beer cans and liquor bottles, and old pizza boxes were strewn everywhere. Sammy said that it was actually a little bit refreshing to see that, though, because he said, "You know, here I am wearing an Armani suit and I'm driving a Ferrari, and I've got—I'm suddenly rich and I've, I'm eating in the finest restaurants." He said, "I've gotten a little bit too sophisticated," and he walked in and saw these these nasty drunk guys smoking and but but playing just ass kicking rock and roll, and he was like, "Okay, this is a rock and roll band." This is what I need to get back to. Nice. The Van Halen brothers, <laughs> when Sammy arrived, were quite drunk, but Eddie started playing a riff that he'd been working on. Sammy stepped up to the microphone, and he just started freestyling some lyrics, but those included the line, Summer Nights and My Radio. Oh, nice. He mainly scattered for the remainder of the song, which impressed both Eddie and Jan Van Halen. Eddie and Alex's father, who had apparently been present for at least a portion of what turned into a 12 hour jam session. Woo-wee. That first improvised lyric would turn into the song Summer Nights. Quote, I've never seen such a spark as there was that first day in the studio. We started playing and Sammy started singing. It just clicked. It was magic, Eddie said. That was the start of the first song Sammy wrote with the band. So we're going to have our first musical break of the episode and we're going to hear the finished product. Here is Van Halen with their soon-to-be lead singer, Sammy Hagar, and Summer Nights.
2: Like I said, 5150 is one of the, it, it's the first Van Hanna album I bought on cassette. And it's start to finish is just a masterpiece. It's really
3: good. We, we had our, in part one, I guess, we did our, our ranking of albums. And that's one that it was hard to start. You know, there's three that were pretty easy to whittle off. We yeah. <laughs> put in the coal pile, the other misshapen taters, <laughs> or whatever. Hey, and hey, then hey, I had... Hey,
1: hey, 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 hey. A misshapen tater. Sometimes tastes just as good.
3: It tastes just as good. And then I had a top, a very definitive top four, but five to nine or five-ish was so hard and there's almost nothing dividing them. And I don't remember exactly, but I had 51.50 in the higher reaches of mine. Because like you said, it's, it's super consistent. It sounds great. Really good songs exploring a few new sounds but there's still some really heavy stuff there it's really really good
2: it's a um, rock album there's no it, much it is a rock,
3: rock album you know. now sammy said that the idea of joining van halen sounded much more exciting to him than doing another solo record he was offered a spot in the band and accepted now it did take a little bit of negotiation to get him in because now of course as a member of van halen he would be recording on warner brothers records but he was signed to geffen records and he was actually one of their bigger artists at the time so there were a few things that had to be worked out but they were Now, some loyalists of the David Lee Roth era deride the second incarnation of the band as, quote, Van Hagar. Uh
2: Uh-huh.
3: But one executive apparently actually did pitch that name change. Oh, really? Yes, to both Sammy and to uh, the brothers. Hagar said that he was, you know, flattered, but he also said that he was asked to join an existing band named Van Halen, and he didn't think that should change. And Eddie and Alex were completely against the name change, so they stuck with Van Halen. Now, that is actually pretty consistent with Sammy's reputation of being sort of non-pretentious and maybe a little bit less enamored at being at the center of attention than his predecessor. Now, that's not to say that Sammy was a little cocky, didn't have a little bit of an attitude, but I'm just going to say to front a rock band, a big rock band, especially at the time we're talking about, you had to have some swagger walking up to that microphone. Oh, absolutely. you you had to have some supreme confidence bordering on, on cockiness or 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 you would fail. You a, you have to have a little bit of an ego to look at 20,000 people and go, "Yep, yeah, they came to see me and I'm about to give them what they want."
2: Yeah, and this is something that drives me nuts about the way people who are not in support of Jamie Hagar joining the band, they talk about him like he walked out on stage, opened a book, and started reading poetry, you mm-hmm. know? I look <laughs> at this,
1: look, I look at the the Dave to Sammy as like a dad to a stepdad. There's going to be a period of adjustments, and sometimes the stepdad is really good and will like send you to college and get you a car.
3: Yeah, and then there's, um, in, in Van Halen's case, there's that abusive third daddy, but we'll, we'll get to him later.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
3: very, which is un- an unfortunate thing that we'll touch
2: on in uh, part four. I have it in um, my outlook calendar as things I'm not looking forward to. But
3: the non-pretentious and a little bit less enamored with being at the center of attention was a very welcome change for Eddie. Hagar's background was also a lot closer to that of the Van Halen brothers than was Roth's. He grew up dirt poor with a father that was in and out of jail. He said his family actually lived in a tent at one time.
2: That is the story, yeah.
3: Eddie confessed, though, quote, I wanted to quit. One thing about Roth, he's not half the singer Sammy is, but he is creative. I'm not slagging him about the music. On stage, he was fine. It was off stage that he made having a human relationship impossible.
2: This is in reference to David Lee Roth, correct?
3: Right, in reference to Dave. To Dave. Eddie made a phone call to Patti Smythe and told her that he was going to announce Sammy as the new lead singer of Van Halen. He did not want there to be a public perception that Sammy was a second choice, so he asked her to keep the offer he made a secret. And she did so for a very long time, I think until Sammy left the band, actually.
2: No kidding, that long? Yeah. What, good, 11, 12 years, maybe?
3: Uh, At least 11 years, yeah.
1: So we're going to take a short break for a couple ads, and we will be right back. And we are back.
3: Okay, and we're going to get now back into the life of Eddie Van Halen. Eddie was waiting for the perfect opportunity to announce Hagar was joining the band, and that opportunity was thrust upon him courtesy of a mistake in a newspaper. (sighs) You got those a-holes and their mistakes in newspapers. What a bunch of losers. Anybody uh, that writes for Who, who
2: writes here? these things? I mean,
3: <laughs> Newsp- <laughs> these newspaper people.
1: <laughs> the lamestream media. <laughs>
3: if you're a first time listener to the podcast, I write for a newspaper. So <laughs> <laughs> totally acceptable, completely acceptable for me to make the joke.
1: I would totally hope that their first episode isn't Hetty Van Halen part three. <laughs> Let's
3: see. I'm going to say, if
2: you jumped in at that point, you get what you deserve. Exactly.
3: <laughs> at that point, you don't deserve to get the joke, I guess. There, the two were, uh, I guess, sitting around 5150, jamming and working on songs, when they read in a newspaper that Eddie was scheduled to make a special appearance with Sammy Hagar at the upcoming Farm Aid Benefit concert. Oh, wow. Oh, I
2: forgot about Farm Aid. Jeez. The,
3: the two apparently... Now... This was the first either of them had heard of it. Sammy was booked to appear at Farm Aid, but there had been no mention of Eddie appearing with him. But the two of them apparently laughed and thought, hey, why the hell not? So Sammy played part of his set at Farm Aid, which included some of his solo hits, including I Can't Drive 55 and There's Only One Way to Rock. And at that point, he brought out Eddie. Quote, we didn't have time to work nothing up. And Eddie and I were sitting at his house bullshitting. And we looked in the newspaper and it said, Eddie was going to jam with me. And I said, Well, shit, I didn't know that. So at the last minute, we decided to go ahead and do it. We don't know any songs as a band, so we're just going to jam a couple of songs that we all grew up on, Sammy said from the Farm stage. At some point, a fan threw a homemade sign written on a bed sheet on stage. (laughs) Sammy said, come on, Eddie, what's this say? Can you read? Eddie then said something off mic to which Sammy said, (laughs) my dick's too small? (coughs) GD, (laughs) how'd they know that? Oh, shit. Okay, well, sorry about that. Me and the old lady get along pretty good. <laughs> now, that's all certainly funny uh, and was also very unwelcome to the Nashville Network, who was broadcasting the show live. Oh, wow. For those who don't remember the Nashville Network, it was the home of the Ralph Emery Show, the Statler Brothers Hour, oh, gee. And, the Gaither, and the Gaither Gospel Homecoming Program.
2: Oh, dear. Uh, so, suffice to say, uh, were pearls being clutched?
3: right i would i would would imagine that um that sammy's little off-the-cuff remarks went over about like a turd in a punch bowl at that point (laughs) but here i thought they were funny so eddie and sammy ripped into a, a version of led zeppelin's rock and roll with eddie going into a blistering solo at the end and sammy proclaiming he's the king at the conclusion of that they announced that Sammy was the new lead singer of Van Halen. Unfortunately, that solo seemed like a really good time to end the broadcast to the Nashville Network, who had gotten super gun-shy after Hagar's torrent of obscenities. So the announcement was not broadcast. (laughs) So the Nashville Network could have broken the news to the world that Sammy Hagar was joining Van Halen, but they were afraid he was going to talk about his pecker again, so they cut him off.
2: There's Sammy again.
3: (laughs) Still, however, word did get around. So the band went into Eddie's studio to record their first album with Hagar in November of 1985. Changes had been made with the band beyond just changing lead singers. Noel Monk had worked on a year-to-year contract as the band's manager, and that was not renewed. He was replaced by Ed Leffler, who was Sammy's manager.
5: Mm.
3: Also, Ted Templeman was out as producer. Now, he had produced every Van Halen album up to that point. But he and Eddie were at such odds during the making of the 1984 album that Eddie wouldn't give him the master tapes. And Eddie and engineer Don Landy would work on mixing songs while David Lee Roth and Ted Templeman worked making separate mixes of the same songs in a different studio. That That's how fractured things had gotten between all of them at one point. Uh, he had also kind of decided he was Team Dave and that he was going to produce David Lee Roth's full-length studio debut so Landy was chosen as producer initially with heavy input from Eddie at some point however Mick Jones of the band Foreigner was brought in as well now one story I read said that Hagar suggested bringing him in as a somewhat neutral third party since he and the band were still getting to know one another but another said that it was done at the insistence of Warner Brothers who did not want to relinquish complete creative control to the band on the album which is hard to understand because They pretty much took it on 1984, and it sold 17 million copies. So not exactly sure why you wouldn't want to just let them do what they wanted to do at that point, but whatever. I found this very interesting. Among the other people considered uh, before Jones was brought in as producer, Nile Rodgers and Quincy Jones. Oh, wow. No kidding. So those two were actually considered as the producer for 5150, but they ultimately went with Mick Jones a Foreigner.
1: I'm really interested what a what a Quincy Jones led mm-hmm. album would have sounded like. That would have been interesting, yeah. That would
2: have been probably
3: big, like yeah. Beat It, since Eddie played on that.
2: Yeah. True. Maybe. But if you think about the album Mick Jones influences that it actually makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now that you've looked at, it, you know, with that knowledge in mind. It's,
3: it at 100% does. Sammy actually picked Jones up and was asked what he should expect. Sammy said, quote, Mick, you and I have been around a while, but let me tell you something. This is something else. Hold tight and enjoy the ride. Yeah. The first song they played for Jones was the super heavy get up. Yep. Jones said, quote, I've never heard anything like that in my life. It sounds like four guys fighting inside the speaker cabinets beating the shit out of each other i'm in oh i love it i'm in jones said he definitely got a who's this guy vibe from land B who certainly didn't seem very welcoming he didn't seem to want to compromise in any way either he supposedly locked himself in the studio for one entire day at one point and threatened to set all the master tapes on fire Oh, my. I'm not sure for what. I never read what that was expounded upon. But Jones said in a story published by Ultimate Classic Rock that, quote, for a little while it was touch and go whether the tapes were going to survive.
2: <laughs>
3: wow. They apparently ironed out whatever that problem was or talked him off the ledge or got him to put the matches down, I guess. Jones worked mainly on getting the absolute best out of Hagar vocally. On the song Dreams, he said he managed to get Hagar singing so high that he was hyperventilating and almost passed out. Wow. Kind of like Roger. And, and if you've heard and if you're familiar with Dreams, you you can hear, I mean, Sammy's reaching for the absolute upper reaches, you know, of his range. Which is, got, which is which is pretty considerable to start with. He has got some range. Uh, a hundred yeah, he really, really does. Which is a, a big difference from their previous lead singer.
2: Uh, David Lee Roth obviously. is not known for his vocal range.
3: Not not necessarily though. No. Yeah. <laughs> As for Eddie, Jones said he was very hands-off, saying that there really wasn't anything he could have done to improve what he was hearing. Quote, he was completely out there, not drug-wise. He just went into this trance state as he played, Jones said. He then paid Eddie an immense compliment, comparing him to Jimi Hendrix. Quote, when I worked with Eddie, it was the first time I'd met a guitar player who had a similar gift who had that thing running through him from above. Uh Sammy told the Van Halen news desk that Eddie, Alex, and Michael drank beer constantly during the recording process. Now he didn't drink while recording, mindful of taking care of his pipes, but he said, quote, I just wished I could play that great sober. (laughs) Uh Sammy was initiated into the ways of the Van Halen brothers pretty quickly. He said he never saw two people as close as they were. If one left the room to get a beer, he always returned with one in his pocket for the other. Neither ever lit a single cigarette. They would both like two, one for themselves and one for their brother. There was a lot of tension and arguments, he said, though, that featured the two nose-to-nose screaming at one another in Dutch. (laughs) Not even in English. And and that, that would often escalate into physical fights. I believe that. Now, Sammy said that was a strange dynamic in itself. He'd break them up occasionally, but if he pushed Eddie in the process, he said that Alex would be ready to jump him. If he grabbed Alex and told him to calm the F down, Eddie would scream, don't talk to my brother that way.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
3: He said that he actually admired that close-knit camaraderie and wished that he'd had a band with a brother. And the other thing is, and this was mentioned by Eddie in one interview I read, if you listen to a lot of Van Halen songs, you realize that often Alex is playing with Eddie instead of playing with Mike Anthony, Hmm. which is normally what comprises a band's rhythm section, The the bass and the drums are are locked in together. But if you listen to some Van Halen songs, really Alex is playing along with Eddie. Interesting. So they were tight in every sense, including musically.
2: Which totally changes the dynamic of, again, how a song can be structured if you think about it
3: sure it definitely does so finally in february of 1986 the album 5150 was completed and it was released the following month now nobody was totally sure what to expect roth's first post-band offerings were doing pretty well would his loyalists accept the new lineup Would sammy's fans who were not a small group by the way come mm-hmm. along for the ride people forget see, a lot of people seem to think this Sammy was just some schlub who had one song. It's like, no, the three albums before he had he joined Van Halen went platinum, gold, platinum. He was a pretty big deal.
2: Oh yeah. He he wasn't just singing in the shower before uh Definitely.
3: Yeah. The other thing was there had there had only really been a couple of noteworthy examples of bands who had successfully replaced a lead singer. Now Genesis did it and actually became more popular. Correct commercially acdc did it and remained very very successful i guess maybe you could say chicago did with peter Cetera. With, when satara left but see now chicago was a, a deal kind of like the eagles where there were a couple of guys who who would sing lead because terry kath sang lead song and satara sang lead song so little little different deal but it didn't happen very much because, you know, Sabbath had replaced Ozzy and they remained viable but not nearly as popular. And, and there are a few other examples like that I could think of.
2: Yeah, nowhere near where they... I mean, Metallica was David Mustaine, but, you know, that performance Well, he
3: Well, Dave, yeah. Dave wasn't really with them for very long. <laughs> and they, they didn't really give him a shot either, so... Yeah, so could Van Halen buck that trend? Those questions were answered pretty quickly when 5150 sold 1 million copies in the first week of release which is bonkers. And became Van Halen's first album to reach number one on the Billboard album chart. They got close with 1984. They sat behind Thriller for weeks and weeks and weeks. 5150 sold a million copies the first week and it debuted at number one. Incredible. It actually knocked Whitney Houston's self-titled debut out of the top spot. Whoa. At the time, it was the fastest selling album in Warner Brothers history. And it went on to sell 11 million copies. Now, it featured several hits, including Best of Both Worlds, which my, is one of my favorite songs on that one. That hit number 12 on the mainstream, Rock Charts, uh, Dreams, and Love Walks In, which is about Sammy being contacted by aliens in his sleep. And if, if you didn't know that before I just told you that, the next time you listen to the song, you'll go, oh, that that guy on that podcast was full of crap. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, he's singing about aliens, isn't he? Yeah, he really is. Are we,
1: are we not going to listen to
3: it? I, do you want to?
2: I mean... If you're asking me, I mean, Who's LD's second favorite Van Halen song. Next I think to uh, okay, well, it, it, well, as as is
3: always the case with Rocket Roll Heaven, LD is kind of our quarterback. <laughs> so if she screams, if she screams Omaha and wants to audible, there's nothing I can do to stop her. Woo hoo! So here we go. Love walks in, Van Halen.
1: Woo! such
3: a good song so LDU, you it's pre- a very good song and yes and i i promise that until i started prepping for this now i had heard sammy talk before about being contacted by aliens but i had never made the connection that that song is about aliens contacting him in his sleep he was but now very- but now that but with that knowledge listening to the lyrics you're like oh yeah that's obviously about aliens <laughs>
2: yeah he he was very into the extraterrestrial and also astrology he was very into astrology
3: yeah i thought when they said so, when in the song when it says some kind of alien it was a metaphor it's like no it's little green people that want to probe your no-nos with hot space yeah, exactly.
2: i thought of it as oh it's it's again like you said a metaphor uh but no he's he's talking about uh yeah gray. yeah and and that
3: if as we sat there and just listened to it then does the guitar almost sound like a ray gun, or like a sound effect, a little bit off of Star Trek, or something?
2: It's got a sci-fi kind of twinge. It, it's
3: got a very sci-fi sound to it, or something. Yeah, but it, yeah, but anyway, it was a great song. That was a, a top thirty hit on the pop charts, and they had a final release that would become the band's second biggest pop hit to date, and to and to this day, this remains the, their second biggest hit on the pop charts ever. This was actually the first song that the band finished and played for Warner Brothers executives when it was over. <laughs> After they played it, one of them raised his fingers in the air and pronounced, I smell money. <laughs> <laughs> so even though we just played a, a song, we're going to double up on a little uh, 5150, y'all. That, that uh, executive said, I smell money, so let's smell some dollar-dollar bills, y'all. This is Van Halen with Sammy Hagar singing lead on the number three hit from 1986, Why Can't This Be Love?
1: Another good song. we And
3: we're back. All right. So that was a song that hit number three on the charts back in 1986. Why can't this be love? Now, reviews for the 5150 album were a little bit mixed, but Rolling Stone gave it three out of five stars. Tim Holmes's review read in part, quote, Part of Eddie Van Halen's cheeky genius lies in his ability to think in terms of both complex orchestration and rock banalities. Eddie can still split the atom with his axe, and he knows it. It's a Van Halen world without David Lee Roth." and 5150 shoots off all the bombastic fireworks of a band at the peak of its powers.
2: It seems more flattering than a three-star rating. That sounds
3: better than three yeah. out of five stars to me, but, I, yeah, whatever. Now, fans did notice some differences. Now, one came in the recording process. When Templeman was at the helm, he wanted a live feel for albums, and at most rock concerts, what's the sound that cuts through everything? Guitar? The lead, the lead guitar, yeah. right. So... On Templeman-produced albums, the entire left channel was dedicated to Eddie's guitar. Wow. Now, that gave the live feel, but it also put the guitar front and center on every single recording. That was not done on 5150, and I don't know if that's because that's something that Jones didn't want or if, if Eddie wanted to do something different. And I suspect it might have been the latter, actually. Hmm. So the guitar settles a little bit deeper into the mix on this particular album. Now, there were also more ballads and use of synthesizers and keyboards, which some fans seem to think was Hagar's influence. He said, though, that the way Van Halen constructed songs was that Eddie would come up with riffs, that he essentially wrote most of the music around them. So pretty much Eddie composed most of the music. He then left it to Hagar and Roth before him to write most of the lyrics and come up with a melody. Now, Hagar had dabbled with keyboards a bit in the 80s and had done some, you know, acoustic ballad-type songs like Give to Live and things like that. But he'd always been a pretty straightforward rocker. Mm. So all he was doing was writing lyrics and melody to the music that Eddie was creating and giving him. So, you know what I mean? It's it's a little unfair to say, well, you know, Eddie joined the band and suddenly it's all these keyboards. It's like, yeah, then you need to go back and listen to 1984 because they're already starting to binge on those.
2: And that was something that you brought up in the last episode. So Eddie was looking to actually branch out, you know, he wanted to try yeah. all these different things. And right. and Dave was the one who stopped him, no?
3: Hey, that, right. That, that Dave was the one and, and Templeman who really didn't want keyboards, but they were all over 1984 and they're there at least to some degree on the two albums, even before that by Van Halen. But but it, they, he really explored it on 1984. And just for me personally, I I don't love synthesizers. I don't like I don't like great bands overusing them and leaning on them. There's appropriate ways you can use them, and using it to supplement your sound is fine. What I don't like is when bands go whole hog on just synthy, synth, synth, synth. When they should be out there reminding everybody that they're a, a, a kick-ass rock and roll band. You know, Rush veered into that territory a little bit me What's at about one point in the to 80s, 80s yeah. and is gonna want to kick me in the balls but Queen did it in the 80s they got really really scent heavy and I could take or leave a couple of those mid-80s albums honestly
1: but funny enough those are the ones that you would buy me for Christmas <laughs>
3: <laughs> because you anything that says Queen on it you like it it doesn't matter what it is that's true. Is true that's true but I also understand and appreciate that bands don't want to make the same record over and over and they wanna they want to try new things and explore different sounds. And in the case of this album, I don't think they were overused that much. I really don't. Would because you say, there's there's still plenty of really heavy rock songs on this record.
2: I was gonna say, would you say it was more balanced in that sense than nineteen eighty four?
3: Probably. Yeah. I would. Because pretty much nineteen eighty four you you know, they were pretty heavy on Jump and I'll wait and then the, the nineteen eighty four intro song. Mm-hmm. The rest of that album's pretty balls-out rock for the most part. And, you know, you've got Love Walks In and what's there? There's one other one on here that's relatively slow. And Dreams. Dreams. Yeah, Dreams is pretty synthy and somewhat ballady. And then Why Can't This Be Love and Love Walks In. The other six songs on that album are pretty banging.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, best of both.
3: Pretty heavy, good rock and roll songs to me. So I don't feel like they were overused at all, actually. So, again... The way they did it, Eddie wrote the music, Sammy would come up with a melody and the lyrics, and so any change in the sound of the band was more Eddie than it would have been Sammy. Now still, Sammy said he liked what he was hearing, he went with it, particularly once he realized that Mike Anthony could hit the high notes to accentuate his vocals. Mm. The very successful 5150 tour featured the band playing the 5150 album almost in its entirety, a few Hagar solo songs, and a handful of cuts from the Roth era, including You Really Got Me Jump and Ain't Talking About Love. Mm. Hagar said in retrospect that that was a mistake, since fans had not had time to hear the new album when the tour started. He said they should have played some more familiar songs from both his and Van Halen's catalog. Still, at the first show on the tour, which was in Louisiana, a sold-out crowd of 10,000 people ate it up. Hmm. They were very pro-Sammy and very pro-Eddie, with many holding up old Van Halen posters with David Lee Roth's picture crossed out. Oh, wow. That's extreme. Sammy briefly donned a t-shirt during that concert that said, Who's Dave? across the front. Oh, I'm sure
2: Dave uh, had some feelings about that.
3: Mm-hmm. Now, some things did remain the same. Some things... Some things never change. Will the Thrill? (laughs) A solo that spotlighted each member of the band was included in every concert. That wasn't just to showcase the individual talents of each member or to allow the other three to cool down with a nice glass of lemonade. In his biography, Hagar said there were changing tents for each member of the band just off the stage. Now, Hagar didn't smoke. uh, And though he did drink, he minimized that while on tour in an effort to take care of his voice. He said he would get a bump of coke at times, but primarily he and the others would keep alive an old Van Halen tradition of having the road crew secure attractive female fans who would usually be waiting on them to um, help them cool down a,
1: afterwards.
3: Play a solo on the meat bugle.
1: Oh, see, I've, I've I always heard that it was so that they could uh, tune up the old skin flute. <laughs>
3: Would you like to play my beef bassoon? <laughs> hey, come toot on my low brass. So there's some some naughty business going on, <laughs> right? In these changing tents. Sammy noted that he had a guitar tech to, that took on tour, but he only played guitar on two songs. <laughs> so it was like, so he basically reasoned, like, hey, I mean, I got to give him something to do. Yeah. Tag out. So he would go. He'd go uh, scout the crowd for talent and uh, Sammy would sometimes have it waiting on him. And I'll say, when I went and saw them in 1993 on the Right Here, Right Now live tour, they did this. That is such a good song. They took but they, there was a, po- a a point when each member of the band was on stage by himself playing a solo of some kind.
1: I feel like they should have just made a bingo card out of like the first six rows of people. Uh-huh. And then just if your number came up, then you got to go backstage. It was like a lottery. Hey, yeah, like, yeah, like bingo.
3: Hey, baby girl, you want to be my B1? All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, the band came off the road in December of 1986, but what have, should, should have been a triumphant moment for them. You know, they didn't know how things were going to go with a new lead singer. How would people take it? The, the album was a mammoth success. The tour was, you know, a sold out, huge success, big moneymaker. Everything was well received. This should have been a big moment for them. Instead, when they got off the road, they were met with a gut punch. Jan Van Halen, the father of Eddie and Alex, suffered a heart attack and he eventually passed away.
1: Oh,
3: no. Now, doctors had told him that alcoholism contributed to his declining health. In his final days, he apparently told his two sons that he wanted them to stop drinking. Alex was actually the heavier drinker of the two at the time. David Lee Roth had actually mentioned to Eddie that he thought Alex had a serious problem when the two had their little breakup meeting at, at Dave's mansion. Al, or Alex supposedly got so hammered at a hibachi restaurant that he stood nearly naked on a table and fell on the still hot grill surface. Oh, pieces.
2: wow. That sounds awful.
3: He also, as we talked about in part two, <laughs> drank to the point of hallucinating that penises were coming out of the walls and chasing him.
2: Again, that is a, that is a tremendous amount of drinking. I don't know. what you have but to that's, to
3: a, that's I don't know how you get that drunk without passing out. Okay. Exactly.
1: Fun story. I think about the same year we were staying. It was me and you. We were staying at it was it was it our house or was it at grandma's house? I think it was our house. And uh I was running around the house naked and you pushed me onto the uh, heater.
3: You uh you tripped.
1: I did not trip. Uh you, you tripped. You're a terrible human.
3: <laughs> Have you got uh, you got any uh if if there's no video then it didn't happen. You tripped. The LD was uh, was fresh out of the bath, naked and running around the house, and fell on our hot furnace.
1: Now, our furnace, we should say... Burning
3: a checkerboard into her butt cheek.
2: <laughs> now, I, now I have a better visual. No, now.
1: And mom was trying to like put some Neospor or something on, and Travis wanders in with a Sharpie.
3: <laughs> X. O. Oh.
1: Now, we should say that the furnace was the kind that I'm pretty sure is just a fire hazard now
3: yeah I yeah, i don't I don't think you can have giant scalding hot metal grates in the <laughs> hall floor <laughs> which is what which is what we had
1: yeah it was it was a giant it was probably like what a two by three metal grate in the middle of the hall, so like if right you, outside if, the bathroom. If you woke up in the middle of the night, you actually had to like hug the walls to get around it
3: to get around it without burning be, your feet.
1: In the middle, when you got
3: out of the bathtub, uh, and, and like, like a lot of times, that was the only source of heat in the house. So, like in the winter, you'd get out of the, the uh, shower, it would be kind of cold, so you would get out and walk out in the hall and kind of straddle the hot metal vent
4: <laughs> Just uh, to warm bad.
3: yourself up. And then I thought it was really funny to pee in it. <laughs> <laughs>
5: That's what that when was
3: I, when oh, I was man. a little kid. I would, I would, when I was like, I mean, we're talking very, very young, I, I'd like a little. I'd a little squirt of pig in it and a little like uh, like a little uh, steam would come up in my <laughs> so,
2: so you you were no older than 27 28 <laughs> no, I mean gosh
3: this I mean, this was forever ago man God I was like 30 <laughs> anyway but, yeah, but Alex, Alex fell on the grill at a Hibachi restaurant and, and bad, pretty badly burned himself and he, he also drank to the point of hallucinating at times but he actually took his dad's wishes to heart. And he was dry within a couple of months. Um, and, and from everything I ever read, he 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 never went back. He he gave up when he gave up drinking. He gave up drinking. Not many people know that Alex Van Halen is an ordained minister now. Is he really? Yes. Yeah, he is. But he went, but he took his dad's wishes to heart, and he did stop drinking. Eddie did not. Yeah. In fact, his alcohol and drug intake actually seemed to increase as he mourned his father's passing. That put more pressure on his marriage to. Nelly Hagar recalls a bombed Eddie showing up at his house in the middle of the night on, on one occasion, insisting that they write a song together before confessing to the fact that Nelly had thrown him out of the house. And then that became a, apparently a fairly regular occurrence. Now, Will The Thrill, you've actually read Sammy's book, read My Uncensored Life and Rock. He, he <laughs> details that this happened pretty often, right?
2: Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that was the case. Yeah, and it 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 definitely worsens in the years ahead too, as we're going to see.
3: In fact, in the fall of 1987, bertinelli left Eddie, with yeah. the couple separating for three weeks. bertinelli largely at Eddie's urging, had gotten clean herself in 1984. He reportedly told her to stop snorting and to start eating at one point because she got really skinny and she was doing cocaine along with him. By all accounts, when things were good, they were a loving, almost too cute for words couple finishing one another's sentences and the like. And I know that you like eccentricities, LD. I do. She would make Eddie his favorite meal, which was Hebrew national hot dogs cooked in the microwave for one minute and 47 seconds.
1: (laughs) Okay, you want to know something funny? What's that? Okay, Will. Yes. How do I take my DiGiorno personal pan
2: pizzas? I believe it's cooked at three minutes and twenty-eight seconds. Forty-eight seconds.
1: Forty-eight seconds. Yeah, three minutes, forty-eight seconds. Three minutes, and if it's not done for three minutes and forty-eight seconds, thirty more seconds. I know, <laughs> I know. So I love that, and who doesn't love Hebrew National hot dogs?
3: I know they're, the they're great. No, they're great. They're great. But band conflicts, Eddie's nonstop work his reclusive nature, and his substance abuse were starting to wear on his wife. She wanted to make things work, and she took him back, staging an intervention, and Eddie did check into the Betty Ford Clinic. He told Rolling Stone later, though, quote, after I got out, I immediately went on a drinking binge, and I got an effing drunk driving ticket on my motorcycle. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Late in 1987, the band went back into the studio to record their second album with Hagar. Landy worked with the band on the recording, but there's no credited producer for this album. Hagar said the band pretty much produced it themselves, saying they were basically quote, effing around the studio, having fun, and ended up having an album at the end. Eddie had been working on new riffs and was thinking about a lot of the lyrics Sammy had written in a notebook. There were some interesting song inspirations on uh, OU812, which would be the uh, next album. Mm-hmm. Cabo Wabo was written by Hagar after a vacation to Cabo San Lucas, no, no, and that would end up being both the name of his club that he opened there and the line of tequila that he would start that would make him a gojillionaire. Oh, yeah. The the
2: sale of the tequila alone, when he sold the business completely, the sale of the business was over $90 million. Uh Uh-huh. Are you serious? Yes, it was. Yeah, Yeah, I wish that I
1: could create something that when I sell it, it's worth $90 million. And and according
2: to Sammy, it got to the point where his involvement in the business was he'd walk in, they'd say, Sammy, take this, and he goes, put it back in the barrel, and that'd be it.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and he invested $50,000- in, okay. in a company he ultimately sold for $100 million. Yep. The song Source of Infection was actually written about Eddie contracting dang fever on an anniversary trip to Australia. Wait,
1: wait, wait. What kind of fever?
3: Uh, dang fever.
1: What is dang fever?
3: D E N G U E? Dang fever. I'm, I'm, I'm not super, I'm not really familiar with it, to be honest with you. I don't
1: know. I don't I don't think I've ever heard of it. Yeah, that.
3: but he, he apparently contracted it when uh, he and Valerie went to Australia. Oh, wow. Uh, the album featured, to my knowledge, and we talked about this song a little bit in our last episode will the thrill hmm. the only covers of the hagar era and it's kind of an obscure one the band recorded little Feet's a a political blues yeah there was a mammoth hit ballad a top five pop hit that hagar said was a favorite of Nelly's, from what he understood that being when it's love
2: Great the song. working
3: album title of OU812 was actually Bone. Bone? Which at, which at Bone, which Alex hated. Yeah. Hagar, Hagar said that he saw OU812 on the side of a delivery truck, though, and thought it was funny. Though some people see it as a shot at Roth's Eat em and Smile album, OU812. Ah, oh, nice right? OU812, however, is also on a license plate in Cheech and Chong's next movie. There's
2: a number of potential uh, sources there.
3: And and it was scribbled on a cinder block near a payphone in the sitcom Taxi.
2: Oh wow, there's a lot going on there.
3: Reviews were again a little mixed, but again it was a massive hit selling six million copies, hitting number one on the album charts again, and spawning a number of hit singles. Now one of those was a serious departure, and we're going to hear that one now. It featured a little bit of a twangy country vibe. The song was composed in One Night, and it hit number 13 on the pop chart. So let's hear that one now. This is Van Halen from OU812. Finish What You Started. (laughs)
1: That's that's right. that is okay. It's really interesting because if you just sit back and listen to a, a Van Halen song, a single Van Halen song, and you look back on their catalog and you think, yeah, no, this all sounds like very much Van Halen. Like you don't you don't really grasp the versatility that they have because right. you've seen them move from like nineteen twenties. What, what what do you even call that? Like bluesish. Well, they 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 movie. did a
3: the ja- a, a jazzy little shuffle. Yeah. On big bad Bill the Sweet William now yeah. yeah,
1: but then you then hear they, this, and it's more of like the country and western twang. This is a
3: twang. Song. This is kind of a twanky honky tonk song. Yeah, it really is. This one, this one kind of stands out in the catalog as as something that there's nothing else that sounds like it that they played. This is This is this is really kind of one unto itself.
1: Yeah, but like having for those at home. We're actually recording this entire series in about a week, so I'm I'm getting assaulted with so much more Van Halen than I've listened to in a very long time, and I'm realizing now just exactly how innovative and versatile they actually are. Because right. this, is, this is something that's completely different than "Love Comes Walking In." This is something completely different than "Jump." This is it's it's totally different, and it's it's right. crazy that you might not even realize how incredibly versatile and talented they i mean maybe not the talented part i'm rambling it's been yeah. a long day
3: yeah. Versa- the versatility is it, it is impressive they're not just a color by number hard rock band but yeah, I they can was- do a lot of different stuff now if that's all they have done i still would have loved them but oh. yeah no, there's a lot more to them than that
1: but this um, is the thing is this is how i think they made it out of the 80s where some faltered like i don't get me wrong i love me some white snake but they didn't quite make it past I the bet 90s.
2: you do. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any blueberries? <laughs> well, I okay, sure. we, should, we should do one whole
3: episode where we just tell our dumb stories.
2: <laughs> the dumb story series. The dumb y'all, story.
3: Have, y'all have more of them than I do. But anyway, now, I, this, I don't know if this actually qualifies as a fun fact, fun fact. or not. It's actually kind of not, actually, now that I think about it. But I'm going to mention it anyway. We need to mention there's a minor bit of six degrees of separation here. LD's first screen credit was actually for a TV movie based on the Pamela Smart story. Oh, my God, yes. You will remember that Pamela Smart was a woman who had an affair with a 15-year-old student and allegedly threatened to cut off their relationship if he didn't kill her husband. Yep. It was noted in her trial that she performed a strip tease for the boy to Van Halen's Black and Blue from the OU812 album before they had sex for the first time. (laughs) Oh. So there, there's LD's slight little six degrees of separation from Van Highland.
1: Okay. And my that, that movie was shot in South Carolina. And it was the first time I had ever sung on camera. And if you can yep. find that, you there is actually somewhere, somehow, some way, there is a VHS copy of Murder in New Hampshire. Wow. Out there. And you can see tiny LD. Do the Twelve Days of Christmas with Helen Hunt,
3: <laughs> which is which is completely a sentence people expected to hear tuning into this today.
2: Yes, the third installment <laughs> on our series on Eddie Van Halen. That would be yeah.
3: yes, yes. I, I I'm sure that people people have downloaded this safe in the knowledge they would hear about you singing the Twelve Days of Christmas with Helen Hunt.
1: happy new year kids (laughs) check it out yes
3: so professionally things could not have been going much better for eddie but his struggles off the stage actually worsened according to a rolling stone story entitled the joy and pain of rock's last guitar superhero on new year's eve 1989 eddie and valerie were with her family in malibu eddie drank jagermeister heavily and became belligerent
2: well when you drink jagermeister that's really the only thing that that
3: tends to happen as he tried to leave the house Valerie tried to stop him and tried to take the keys from him. When he resisted, Bertinelli's father, a former boxer, intervened in the form of punching Eddie in the face and breaking his cheekbone. Oh, Wow. Eddie went into rehab for 28 days, and things did seem to improve. In June of 1990, Bertinelli told Eddie that she was pregnant. Now, Eddie was thrilled, having once said he wanted to have enough kids to form an entire band. Hmm. On March 16, 1991... Wolfgang Van Halen was born.
1: Which, by the way, is the best name that you could have possibly given your child.
3: Which is which is fantastic. Eddie is portrayed as an absolutely doting father. Quote, sometimes I call Ed staring at Wolfie with a look of disbelief. As if he couldn't have helped create something that miraculous, Nelly said. Now, Eddie had actually written a piece of music in 1986 about a father's love for his son. He didn't have a title for it then, but he ended up playing it to Valerie's belly during her pregnancy. Oh. That song was eventually titled 316. Uh, it's a very short instrumental piece, and we're actually going to hear that right now.
1: absolutely gorgeous
3: yeah so Wolfgang Van Halen heard that song in utero I mean
1: and he's a musician now isn't he oh yeah and he no. is a
3: musician now he truly is now Eddie apparently greatly curtailed his alcohol intake during Nelly's pregnancy but things did start ramping up again as the band was getting to release its next album Ted Templeman actually returned as producer for the album for unlawful carnal knowledge hmm <laughs> which took about 10 months to record. Now, if you're curious about the title, Sammy either wanted to call the album just the F word or or F censorship.
1: I get it. I get it. You didn't see that? I didn't see that. I just see it now looking at the cover.
3: So, but Eddie, and I guess this is around the time that like Nasty As They Want To Be had been banned in some places and deemed obscene and stuff. And I guess it, that upset Sammy. So he was like, he either wanted to call the album the F word or F censorship. But his friend, Boxer Ray Boom Boom Mancini, told him that the F word was actually an acronym for for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. Now, it's actually not. Yeah, that has been debunked. <laughs> it also doesn't stand for fornicating under consent of the king. It's an old, an old word that means to thrust or fornicate.
1: Apparently, there is a new special that I believe we're going to start tonight or tomorrow night, depending on whether or not I want to watch Contagion. But... It's got Nicolas Cage, and it's about the history of curse words. Sweet. He hosts it. it, And so I just got to figure out where I am mentally.
3: (laughs) Right. To see what I need. So anyway, it doesn't actually stand, it's not an acronym at all, and it doesn't stand for for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, but the name stuck anyway. It featured a return to the band's rock roots, with Alex playing an actual drum kit instead of an electric drum set, and with one notable exception, there weren't any keyboards. And actually, now that I think about it, there weren't any keyboards, that song is piano, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, he's actually (laughs) playing a piano.
2: And I think, for the purposes of a live tour, they may have used a keyboard with a piano sound, but it was right. They probably the did. Yeah.
3: But there's obviously one song on "For uh-huh. Unlawful Carnal Knowledge" that does feature Eddie sitting down and mashing keys instead of standing up and wailing on a guitar. And is LD calling an audible? Is is that she's giving me the hand signal?
1: I'm calling an audible. They oh
3: God, Omaha,
2: Omaha, Omaha, Red Two, Red Two. Okay.
3: Okay, so I had not written this one into the script, but I also knew that this was a favorite of Will's and LDs and that they'd want to play it. So the one song on For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge that featured piano is one that we're going to hear now, right?
1: Yep. And the question is, I, I, I got to go with a video cut. Number one, is <laughs> shorter and the video is spectacular for this. So right now, we're going to play right, right now. now. hey that that much in a while that is a lot of movement
2: that is yeah one of the best rock songs ever ever
3: that's a great one that's a great That's a great one
1: i'm like i'm like i I rock so hard that my palms are sweaty right now
3: yeah well oh go ahead the the funny the funny thing about for unlawful carnal knowledge right now is the outlier yeah, because they they put away the synths, they put away the keyboards. There really aren't any ballads. That's the closest they they come. This was a straight up balls out rock record, much heavier sound. I mean, you know, you 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 come out with you know the dream is over, man on a mission, uh, top of the world, run around. I mean, it's just it's one banger after another. The album featured a harder sound, and it also featured some power tools. Really? So, yeah. So Eddie noticed that a power drill that was being used to install equipment in the 5150 studio was in the same key as a song the band was working on. Now, I want you to imagine being so attuned to the world musically that you hear a drill and your first thought is, now, what key is that in? <laughs> that And you know, you know what I mean? That, that's how attuned you are to music
1: it's in the key of dewalt
3: (laughs) yes um so eddie actually took the power drill and held it near his guitar pickup and crafted a very unique sound that opened one of the record's best tracks and we're just going to go back to back with songs from for unlawful carnal knowledge because i love it this is van halen and eddie using a power drill on pound cake yes The album was another multi platinum smash. It won a Grammy. And the video for right now won video of the year at that year's VMAs besting Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit. Really? Yeah. Now, which is funny funny. because Eddie apparently was actually a fan of Nirvana, saying that he loved Kurt Cobain's songs, which he saw as, quote, real and from the heart despite their lack of technical perfection, which Eddie is kind of noted for. Now, one positive and kind of funny side story. Eddie actually had Thomas Dolby come install equipment in 5150.
1: She blinded me with science.
3: <laughs> and he repaid the favor by playing on two Dolby songs later on. Dolby said he was told up front that Eddie did not like references to Spinal Tap, that deeming that they hit a little too close to home. He said that Alex was not happy to see Eddie working with anyone outside the band, noting that the last time he'd done so was with, quote, that little effer Michael Jackson, which kept the 1984 album from hitting number one in his mind. He also recounted that Eddie, at one point, turned on a giant gas-powered fireplace, for which he was admonished by Nelly, given that it was 90 degrees outside. <laughs> his response was to ask her to turn on the air conditioning. <laughs> On the not-so-light side, Eddie was still having alcohol and drug-fueled outbursts at time. He visited Bertinelli while she shot a TV show in North Carolina, and he ended up going on a drunken rampage that saw him smash the windshield of a rental car in front of Bertinelli and her mother. Lassie. Still, the two did stay together. In 1993, Van Halen released Right Here, Right Now, a live album. Despite being a double album and thus considerably more expensive than a standard set, it sold more than 2 million copies. Now, there are various versions of how the album came to be, but one version is that it was offered as a compromise to Warner Brothers, which wanted to release a best-of collection. They toured on the record, and since I went to a show on that tour, I'm going to be completely self-indulgent and play a song off of it, even though we just played two songs off the floor. <laughs> of I, big fat, don't care. Um <laughs> There were only four Roth era tracks featured on the set, but one of them demonstrates, I think, that Sammy could pretty much sing anything, including stuff from the David Lee Roth era of the band. So this is Sammy singing live on a version of Ain't Talking About Love. there's sammy singing a dave era song what did you think
2: i mean it holds up it's it's, it's we we're going to discuss this later the sammy versus dave sort of paradigm shift you know sammy had the vocal chops there's no question he could step in and vocally hit that song i have absolutely
3: no, yeah. now outwardly things could not have appeared to be going any better than they were but Because this is Van Halen we're talking about, there was, of course, drama developing behind the scenes. (laughs) Now, it started off when, uh, very unfortunately, their manager, Ed Leffler, was diagnosed with cancer, and the disease claimed his life in 1993. Yeah. Now, he was seen by outsiders as a rough, tough guy, something of a ball buster, but he took care of the band, and he helped keep them together. His replacement would be a man named Ray Daniels, who happened to be Alex Van Halen's brother-in-law. Yep. He and Sammy did not get along at all, with Hagar actually saying he was, quote, evil and saying that he quote hated rock and roll in later interviews. He also, per Hagar, took sides in band arguments where as Leffler would be more of a peace broker. Hagar claims that Daniels told Eddie that he needed to quote take his band back. Eddie and Alex were both sick of Sammy. Eddie supposedly said, quote, lead singers are hell. The fellow <laughs> guitarist slash who And I know this is kind of a shock, sort of knew where he was coming from. I I could see that, yeah. Quote, you got to be a prick to be a lead singer. That's half the deal, Slash replied. Yeah. In in 1994, the band started work on the follow-up to For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. By this time, there was major conflict between the brothers and Hagar. Quote, that was the record where if I said black, Eddie said white. And I'd say, okay, white. And he'd say, no, I want black. I'd say, okay, well, I wanted Black to begin with. Then Eddie would go, well, I don't know what I want. I'll let you know when I do. He just wanted the opposite of what I wanted. Eddie was taking another stab at sobriety, and this was prompted, he said, by the last time that he got really drunk, he had an all-nighter, stumbled in about eight in the morning, and that Wolfgang looked at him and said, "What? what's wrong, Daddy? Yeah. So he said, he said, if your five-year-old kid knows something's wrong, then you, maybe you need to you know, take some steps and tr- try to improve yourself. There was some success with three songs being written in a half hour period at one point. As Eddie said, his therapist taught him how to write sober because he'd never done it before.
2: Yeah, I mean, they they do studies that say alcohol actually affects your brain to the point where how you process and, and do these kind of things changes. You have to rewire it. Right. Yeah. He said, though, that The fighting
3: amongst the band and Daniels got so bad that he actually started drinking again during the process of making the next album. In the midst of that, he also began to chastise some of Hagar's lyrics. He, for example, ended up hating the end result of the song Amsterdam, saying that the flagrant pot references and, quote, wham, bam, Amsterdam lines were, quote, just stupid and not imaginative in any way. Quote, Sammy would say, you never complained about the lyrics before. Well, I wasn't sober before and I wasn't even listening to the lyrics. It's not like I suddenly wanted Sammy to be my puppet or anything, but once in a while, I would take issue with a specific lyric or line, Eddie said. And now we have a fun fact. Fun fact. Fun fact. The video for Amsterdam became the second Van Halen video banned from MTV (laughs) following Oh Pretty Woman. Amsterdam was banned for a couple of reasons. One, the song has very flagrant pot references. And MTV was on our big reefer madness, we're not going to let you talk about marijuana kick at this point, because this is right around the same time that we had Let's Get to the Point, Let's Roll Another Norge. And in the video, people are seen smoking marijuana because it's it's a travel log kind of video with the band actually in Amsterdam and there are people I mean openly smoking marijuana and at one point there's like a giant spleef stuck in the mouth of a stuffed monkey wow and then there's the boys visiting a certain female oriented business that's legal there yes that is yes in Amsterdam it is
1: that has a little bit of a red tinge to it perhaps from a red light yes
3: Yes, up. yes, yes, very good. Thank you. That's 100% what it is. But anyway, that, that became their second video to be banned from MTV. Eddie also said that Sammy made things worse by bristling at suggestions to change lyrics. Eddie said that Sammy would actually get mad and not speak to him in those instances. It took three solid months working eight hour days to finish the project that became Balance. The internal strife showed itself, much as it had years earlier on Fair Warning, in a much darker record. The famous brown sound of Eddie's guitar, his term for the slightly distorted sound and unique tones he produced, was a little bit muted and gave way to a cleaner tone and some very heavy metal-esque riffs. Critically, this album was not well received at all, but the album still sold well going triple platinum. The lead single was partly about universal love, but it also made a reference to the death of Kurt Cobain, who we mentioned earlier Eddie was a a huge fan of. So let's let's hear that one now. This one hit number one on the rock charts. This is Van Halen from Balance, Don't Tell Me What Love Can Do.
4: This
5: okay i <laughs>
1: They're bad. That's a you know. I really like Balance. I I that's I think the first Van Halen album I actually bought on my own. Yeah. I but I think I bought it at the Chester Walmart the same <laughs> week that I bought Candlebox. Is that like a thing?
3: Yes, Candlebox far
1: behind. Yeah, and Beautiful. I re- and I remember riding my bike all the way to the animal shelter and getting a kitten because apparently. <laughs>
3: What'd you get? What'd you do today, honey? I got Van Halen and a kitty.
1: <laughs> well, you know if I brought an that's animal, weird, that's a weird combo. Um, mom, mom, and dad would never like. They would get upset with me for like fifteen minutes, and then yeah. gladly keep whatever animal. Because remember, I was keeping rats in the closet for like, oh,
3: sure, yeah,
1: weeks, and then mom and dad found them and then bought them like a giant terrarium and like fed them when I was at school and stuff. So yeah i never learned my lesson about bringing home animals
3: (laughs) yeah but that i I agree with you i remembered balance as being kind of meh and as part of preparing for this i listened to the entire van halen catalog and it was a lot it it aged really well it was a lot darker than i remembered and it was a lot heavier than i remembered not there's a couple of there's a little bit of dead weight especially in the form of the instrumentals but and after a great song don't Tell Me What Love Can Do, I really like. Seventh Seal is great. I really like Feeling. That's a fantastic song. For whatever reason, it was it, it ended up being a little darker, a little heavier, and a little better than, than I guess, I don't know if it's just my more, ears are a little more mature now or what, but anyway. So the Balance Tour was one of the band's most elaborate yet, with a jumbotron being used for the first time, which necessitated a camera crew being employed. The band jokingly called it, though, the Ambulance Tour, as Alex was wearing a neck brace, after damaging three vertebrae while hoisting one of his kids over his head.
1: Whoa! That is an old man injury.
3: It is. Eddie was performing sober for basically the first time in his life. Now, he enjoyed aspects of that, but he didn't enjoy the excruciating hip pain that he was feeling. Some nights, he needed a cane to get on stage and would sit during performances. Now, he thought he had just strained something swinging a golf club, but a checkup showed that He was actually dealing with uh, something called avascular necrosis, which is when a bone or joint isn't getting sufficient blood. That's the injury that ended the football career of Bo Jackson.
2: Oh, wow. No kidding. Wow.
3: Yeah. Now, he thinks that years of jumping off amps and running around the stage was responsible, especially that in his inebriated state, he was blocking out the pain and the damage that he was doing. Sure. It should be mentioned, though, that heavy alcohol intake can exacerbate avascular necrosis. So.
1: interesting because it's a blood thinner you would think that I mean like I know this isn't medically sound at all but you'd think that because it's a
2: blood thinner that would right. actually help.
3: Yeah you would you would kind of think that but apparently that that can exacerbate the problem.
2: It makes uh, healing harder that's the problem. Uh, right I think that's right.
3: The band made at, at the time very rare swing through Europe which had been infrequent and they played a secret concert in Amsterdam that was broadcast on local radio so that was sort of a homecoming for the Van Halen Brothers. The balance Tour was among the highest grossing tours of the year, I think trailing only the Eagles' Hell Freezes Over Tour. Oh, wow. But some felt that management was milking things a bit too much. The band was tired, wasn't getting along, needed a break in general, and needed a break from each other. But they played 131 dates in nine months.
1: Jeez.
3: Wow. With Alex in a neck brace and Eddie dealing with excruciating hip pain. They finished with two dates in Hawaii where Sammy wed his girlfriend, Carrie. No one could have known it, but that would be his last show with the band for some time. Now, versions of what happened next differ, but as a movie that was never made, that being Roth's Crazy from the Heat, ended up being the last straw in the original incarnation of the band, a movie that did get made was the last straw for the Hagar-led version. First of all, Eddie was apparently unhappy that Hagar was recording a new solo, uh, a few new solo songs to fill out a contractually obligated Greatest Hits package. He had been the main voice of dissent in Van Halen's Greatest Hits package. Sammy also wanted to take some time off to spend with his new wife and his newborn baby. He claims that Eddie, uh, Eddie and Alex wanted to go right back to work. Quote, they said that they had to make money, but I said, whoa, are you crazy? We're not hurting for money. I wanted to spend two months with my new baby and then make another record. But Eddie said, I'm frustrated because you never do what I ask you to do. He says this was after a cryptic drunken call that he got from Eddie at 2 a.m. one morning when Eddie asked him what he wanted to do. Sammy said he wanted to take a break, then told him that he hadn't decided what he wanted to do, but that he'd let Hagar know if it involved him and ended the call with an F.U. Wow. What Eddie wanted to do was work on a pair of songs for the soundtrack to the movie Twister.
4: (gasps) that is one of
1: my favorite movies of all time i know and it stars one of my heroes bill paxton and oh my god helen hunt we've come full circle
5: oh my I'll, god i'll
3: say i think we have to end the podcast now because we've come yeah. full circle we've <laughs> closed the helen hunt circle
5: it's another horrible uh,
3: band name right so so there were some uh, you know eddie wanted to work on a couple of songs for this the soundtrack to Twister. But Sammy said, quote, I was not down with it. All they wanted was to get me off the island. Ray Daniels would be on the phone saying things like, if you're not back tomorrow, we're assuming that you've quit the band. Hagar did go back to take part in the recording, but the tensions that had been simmering for a while were still in evidence as they argued over musical direction and lyrics. They finished one song, but Sammy balked at doing another. He went back to his hotel room and had his room put under a fake name (laughs) so that Eddie wouldn't be able to reach him. Eddie tried to call Sammy and eventually security knocked on Hagar's door to tell him that Eddie Van Halen was on the phone. (laughs) What do you want us to do? Sammy recalls security asking him, quote, tell him to go F himself was the answer. That apparently prompted a phone call that 11 years prior would have seemed totally improbable. Hagar says, That is when Eddie got on the phone and called David Lee Roth. Oh, wow. He then got another phone call from Eddie. Quote, you've never been a team player, Sammy says Eddie proclaimed. You've always wanted to be a solo artist. You can go back to being a solo artist. We've been working with Roth on the Greatest Hits record and it's going great.
5: Wow. Sammy
3: Sammy says that he then got a call from Daniels who, realizing things were spiraling out of control, tried to calm the situation. Hearing his voice on the other end of the phone did nothing to calm Hagar, however. Mm -hmm. Quote, go F yourself for starters, Hagar told him. (laughs) Second of all, congratulations, you just broke up the biggest band in the world. F you. It's over. Now, Sammy claimed that For a long time in the immediate aftermath that, you know, he was fired from Van Halen, but he conceded later that perhaps he had quit as Eddie had maintained. Okay, now everything I just told you is Sammy's version of what happened. Eddie's version differs. In an interview with Guitar World magazine, he said there had been issues with Sammy going back to the OU812 album. He said Sammy refused to work with producer Andy Johns on For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge and demanded to work with Ted Templeton, who Eddie said let Sammy, quote, get away with everything. He said Sammy seemed to change when he got divorced from his first wife and that things got worse after Eddie stopped drinking in October of 1994. He claims that Sammy was opposed to the Greatest Hits package because he didn't want to be compared to Roth, and then that he got assy about the fact that more of his songs should be featured on the collection if it was going to happen than Roth's. Eddie said he found it interesting that Sammy, who had put out two Greatest Hits albums, was so opposed to Van Halen doing its first one after 20 years of recording albums. Eddie claims that there had been a band meeting when it was emphasized that if he wanted to be in Van Halen, Sammy had to, quote, stop running around doing all this solo shit and become more of a team player, which might involve collaborating more on a lyrical level. He claims that Sammy seemed amenable to that, but then blew up when given someone else's lyrics to work with. Sammy also wrote words for the one song in Twister that he participated in that featured lots of tornado references, which the director and the rest of the band had made clear they did not want. He said the last call they had came after Sammy blew up in the studio and left abruptly and only happened after he tried unsuccessfully to reach him many times. And it went something like, Sam, if you want to make another record or do another tour, you've got to be a team player. Van Halen is a band, not the Sammy Hagar show, not the Eddie Van Halen, Alex Van Halen or Michael Anthony show. And then Eddie said that Sammy finally said, quote, yeah, gd it i'm effing frustrated i want to go back to be a solo artist and i said thank you for being honest we ended hanging up like everything was cool because it was all out in the open he'd admitted that he wanted to do solo stuff and i said well you can't be in a band and do that too so see ya. i didn't fire him he just quit eddie held the view that sammy only liked the prestige of being in van halen and really didn't want to be in any band he said both he and dave suffered from LSD, quote, lead singer disease, Mm -hmm. except except Dave never lied. So Eddie was essentially calling Sammy a liar as he went out. So Sammy was out of the band. The next time Van Halen took the stage together, they did so with a new old face and it would not end well. Now we're going to pretty much end our episode right there. And uh, part four, our finale will be coming up next week. But Will The Thrill and I, every week, are doing little lists, little debates about Van Halen. We figure that they are the ultimate drunk guys argue about them band. We're both drunk right now. Not really. (laughs) I don't know if Will is or not. He's in California. I can't tell. But as we said last week, you know, ladies, lest you think that we argue about or discuss important things when we sit around and have a beer and, quote, solve the world's problems, we don't. I think Will and I, in having these discussions before, one of us actually uttered the phrase, well, you know, I would just say that anyone who believes Heartbreak City is a better album than Candio is a mouth breathing cretin who poops in the sink.
1: <laughs> I feel like I know who said that and that person would be you.
3: Was it was it me? It was probably and it's, you. Heart, and its heart and it's heartbeat city, but in, in, no, anyway. I, city, and, yeah. and, and
1: and no, I go to bed at this point, but I I would like my voice to be heard oh, in of this. Of course.
3: Okay. So what we're doing right now is we're going to have the ultimate Van Halen debate. We're going Dave Era versus Sammy Era. Ooh. Now, none of us is a perfect foil for this because, first of all, I, I, I slightly favor the Dave Era, but I love the
2: Sammy Hagar
3: Era. And 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 Will, you don't. Uh, uh, you've given no indication that you dislike the Roth Era at all.
2: Oh, no, none in the slightest. Uh, I would be on the side of preferring the Sammy era, but I thoroughly enjoyed the Roth era.
3: And, and this, so I know people who say that when Dave left, there was no more Van Halen, that whatever came after was this crappy corporate pop synth garbage. And I don't identify that as being my band. That's not Van Halen. But then I had a discussion on Twitter with some people not long ago, and sur- I was surprised how pro-Sammy they were, to the point that they were they were saying, like, Sammy's a better singer, he's a better songwriter, the music was more relatable. And one of them actually called David, I, I, if I remember right, something along the lines of a half-assed vaudeville reject. <laughs> so, really funny. So it was a tad harsh, but um, so there are people who have very strong opinions about this, And in both of our cases, it's just a matter of having a slight preference one way or the other. Um, And mine doesn't even necessarily have to do with the singers. But anyway, we're going to have this debate right now. LD says she wants to weigh in a little bit. So, so Will, sir, you have the floor.
2: All right. Well, I want you to picture for a moment you're getting onto an airplane and you have one of two pilots. The first pilot is the one who is going to get you there on time. They know the flight route. They know where they're going. You will get there on time smooth sailing. They will divert the issue around the issues. They will make the flight the best it can be at 30,000 feet. The second pilot is going to say, we can get you in much earlier. It's going to be rocky. We may go to places you didn't plan on. And hell, there's a chance we may not get there at all. I think that analogy is the perfect approach to the Hagar Roth era. It all comes down to what you are looking for in terms of risk. Roth is a rock star. Sammy is a musician. Those are the two biggest differences. So we've already established that Sammy came in with a pedigree, which I don't think he gets enough credit for, his work with Montrose. He was an established solo artist selling millions of albums. He wasn't, again, just singing in the shower and Van Halen threw a dart in the phone book and said, H, Hagar, let's use this guy. So he came in with that. He has with the band produced some of the most memorable songs that Van Halen has ever known. Ever! Is it different from the Roth era? Yes. And I would say that largely is credit to Joe Rogan, who on his podcast said that Halen did become something different. It did. And if you look at the records that are produced from 5150 straight through to Balance, there is a marked difference in production quality. It is cleaner. The records are more versatile. And like you said, there's this Sammy brought the synth era. Not true. We've already established that Eddie Van Halen was very interested in moving in that direction prior to Sammy's arrival. And Sammy was able to work with them. So my final point before I turn it over to you, uh, Mr. TJ, is that there's something very important you learn in the world of role-playing games, and that is party composition. If you look at the Van Halen brothers, you have a very volatile combination. Eddie is very material. Much. Eddie is kind of all over the place. He's in his own world. If you put a David Lee Roth, that could be gas on the fire. You, again, have a very kind of you know outgoing very kind of again mercurial all over the place personality doing his own thing did it work sure was it highly combustible you betcha (laughs) and i think when you introduce someone like sammy you're introducing someone more on it closer to eddie's plane again someone who thinks like a musician song composition what's going into it you know how can we mix these things together whereas dave is like be dave so in closing i would say if i were a record producer I would take not what is to be mislabeled as the safe bet with Sammy Hagar. I'd take the sure bet because I would know I'd get a blockbuster record. I'd sell out the tour. He would fill seats and he would get that job done. Uh, Roth, I could get it, but I could also be looking for tank insurance 10 minutes before the show starts. So it is a bit of a risk. There are two areas that where I think men, the men are left, you know, there's, you can't compare the two. Sammy is his voice, vocally superior in pretty much every way to Dave. Dave's range is very limited. and only got more limited as he got older. And Roth for his antics. They are legendary. Sammy just can't compete with that. And I will say on a final closing note before I turn it over to you, uh, Mr. TJ, that we can have solace in the fact that neither are Gary Sharon. Thank you. Right. <laughs> I yield my time.
3: I know Gary Sharone.
2: <laughs> Gary Sharon is a friend of mine. do no, know Gary Sharon. No, not know Gary Sharon. <laughs> this,
3: this is actually a debate. Okay. Yes. I will concede up front. In every traditional sense, Sammy Hagar is a better vocalist than David Lee Roth is. He's a better singer. He yes. has more range. He has better breath control. He is, is, stays on pitch better. And that really showed itself most, if you've ever seen ever seen either in concert or seen clips of them, live. There are times that Dave would drop whole lines because again, lack of breath control, he's running around the stage. He's out of breath. And he just, he would drop whole lines. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm certainly not going to argue, try to argue that Dave is a superior vocalist because he's obviously not, but there's something magical that happened when David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen were in the studio together. They bring out the best in each other. Dave, while not a great singer in the classic sense is a stylist. He, uses a bit of a growly thing. He has that, that soup, the, the super high, you know, uh, shrill shriek, but he would do the half talk, half sing kind of thing. Um, he would almost rap at times. Mm -hmm. They, Ted Templeman found a way to accentuate what he did well. And while Sammy is a superior singer, no question, he's a much more conventional singer. Dave, made van halen more distinctive there was something about that that different delivery that kind of talk kind of rap kind of sing jokey sometimes you can almost hear him laughing and having a conversation that made that made his delivery unique and it made van halen sound distinctive and unlike anything that anybody else was doing. It was very non-traditional. I would also say that Sammy is much more of a stand and deliver guy. He's gonna stand at that microphone and he's gonna sing his ass off. Whereas Dave is full of energy. He would uh, reportedly stretch for up to two hours before a concert. Because he would often begin a concert by jumping off a 12 foot drum riser And landing in a full split, he did acrobatics. He would fly over the stage, as you see them doing in the video for Jump. The on-stage annex, the entertainment value, he is a compelling figure. When he got hit the stage at the Us Festival in Ashless Challenge, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds so ridiculous to even say, but but Dave knows how to work a crowd. You can't take your eyes off the guy. Now is he croaking and missing notes here and there? Yeah, he is. But but you're still transfixed by what you see. I would give him. You know, Sammy gets unfairly criticized for his lyric writing at times, and I because I, I don't think that's fair. He's a very good songwriter. Agreed. Dave Dave is differently good. Dave wrote with a little bit more of a wink and a nod, and a little bit more of a little bit more of a sense of humor. A little more, You know, Sammy wrote. You know, just great straight ahead rock and roll songs. Mm. Dave wrote, he was clever, and there was a little bit more of a, a veneer over things. You know, if Sammy wanted to sing about sex, there wasn't even a thin veneer. He covered it in saran wrap. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, yes, this song is about sex. Yeah. It, th- th- that could be the title of it. I Like Sex by <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah, Sammy Whereas the, It was a little more of a wink and a nod. and the, But part of, I think the overarching thing for me, really, is while I like that they're it, them exploring keyboards and pianos and some synth and 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 not being afraid to reach out and do some ballads. I think that the reason I like the Roth era more is because of the music that Eddie was making at the time. Eddie was bursting onto the scene, doing things nobody had ever heard with a guitar, a tone nobody had ever heard, techniques that nobody had ever seen before, and he was heavily influenced by Cream, Eric Clapton. And by you know listening to Zeppelin and Deep Purple and people like that, and it was reflected in that. It was harder, it was heavier, it was a little nastier and edgier. And while I do like ballads and and I, I like them exploring some some of the some pop sounds and things, I have no problem with that. I slightly prefer hearing hard rock, heavy metal, and funk influences that are much more in evidence in the in that in the first Roth era. So I. Will now yield the floor to LD, who said that she wanted to offer some input as well.
1: I'm going to do an analogy of high school and college. Okay.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: In high school, you are immature and fart jokes are funny. And yeah, I'm not in know. high school
3: now and they're funny.
1: <laughs> That's because you have the brain of a 12 year old
3: right
1: (laughs) and and pranks and antics are funny and while those might be some of like the best years of some people's lives a lot of people find their footing in college and they mature and they they find that path that they want to be on and you grow and you mature and I think that David Lee Roth is high school and Sammy Hagar is college that's fair yeah you know, there's a maturity that comes with Mr. Hagar, and but there's also like that light and that fun and that, that element that only could exist in the 80s that was David Lee Raw. And I'm not going to be a tiebreaker for, for this because I hated both college and high school <laughs> in my <laughs> life <laughs> uh, until I got older and then realized it was probably okay. But I can't choose between Hagar and Roth because it's like choosing two completely different types of music. Do you want that element of maturity and safety that's still really good? Or do you want the element of showmanship and, and dazzle and fun? And it just depends on the day for me of whether or not I want to have that love comes walking in. Can't this be love right now? Or do I want something like jump it's depending on the day. So today is a, t- today, as we record this, January the 7th, 2021, it's a David Lee Roth kind of day. Right. Tomorrow, it might be a Hagar kind of day. Right. We'll find out. And,
3: and and the thing is, is that both are really good. This is not that uh, we, we took the different sides in this. This is not that I, I, I love the Sammy Hagar era. There's very little bad I can say about it. This is just a matter of a slight preference. And a preference that almost has doesn't entirely have anything to do necessarily just with Dave or Sammy. It has to do with the kind of music that Eddie was producing at the time.
1: Well, my whole stance is that it's kind of like with Queen. Because, I mean, I, I think if you've been listening to this long enough, you understand I love Queen. And I can't choose a favorite song because it goes between Love of My Life or Radio Gaga. And if you put a gun to my head, I would not be able to tell you what my favorite Queen song is because it just depends on the day. I might be having like a really good day and I want to listen to to Radio Gaga or I might be in more of a sentimental mood and want to hear Love of My Life or I might be a little bit (laughs) sad and want to hear that or I might need to pick me up and I go to Radio Gaga. It's, It's the same thing. It's like whatever mood I'm in, I know that there's going to be a Van Halen for mm-hmm. me.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's a good way to put it. Neither is bad. Will doesn't hate the Roth. I, I mean, I, quite obviously, you don't. When we did our ranking oh. the top twelve albums, I think your top three were Roth era.
2: they were absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
3: So, and I and I had uh, a Sammy era one. I think at number three. Well, is that so unlawful obviously unlawful for unlawful carnal knowledge. So we we, we both like both eras it's it's not that we don't it's just it's it's almost like like LD just said sometimes it may just be a matter of what mood you're in yes it may be the day it may be what I ate for breakfast I mean hell I don't know what makes me decide these things mm-hmm. as a day goes long but some days you feel like listening to 5150 and some days you feel like listening to uh, Van Halen 1 and they're both very different, and they're both very good.
1: And then sometimes you just wake up and you go, "I want to listen to just a jiggle Sometimes that's actually
3: it's actually Dave's solo, but that's
2: fine. I know that's, or, that's what I'm saying. Or if we're going that direction, "Moss Tequila."
3: Yes, yeah, that's no, it's a great song. Oh, it man, is awesome song. Totally forgot about that one. Yeah. Oh I mean.
2: God, Sa- Sammy's solo stuff post Van Halen, I can't get to it much. About it. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it is. I mean, his blue his
1: when he was doing "Jump" as a bluegrass song, I got. Oh it my God, God. It was that was hilarious. Yeah. That was pretty funny.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Now Dave has done. Yeah, Dave has been a little hot and cold away from that. <laughs> yeah. I will definitely admit that.
2: But, but that goes to my point. Of, that's what you're going to get with Dave. It's going to be yeah. hot. And the hot will be hot. And the cold will be like, you know. That's the ride with Dave. There's no even. It's it's up and down.
3: Yeah. But I would say that the albums were pretty even. I, I would he say that they, really. they, 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 consi- he consistent, they consistently hit home runs with, with him and the band. But then you almost wonder, when it ended, did it have to end? Was that like... Yeah. We've reached the natural end of this. Maybe, maybe there's a part of that, like like you said, this this has burned really hot for ten years, and it can't go on. It, we're going to have to make a change, now.
1: But it's it's kind of like a divorce because they had they had Roth, then they had Hagar, then they have somebody who you refuse to tell me their name, like in oh, Baltimore. Yeah,
3: oh God, it, you'll go find out next. You'll find out next week if, if, if you
2: the, say it three times. He appears and sings a song from Van Halen three. But then they. <laughs> Or one from Porno Graffiti. Oh, <laughs> gross.
1: And on that note, I, I think we're done with this episode, are we? Are we? Well,
2: out of this I, think, episode?
3: I think we put this debate to the fans, no? Yeah. Is I mean, this? Yes, yeah. okay, yes. I think that's the way to decide this.
2: Yeah, Yeah. There's only one way to go, and that's out to you guys. So please. If, if
3: we would love your feedback on any of these little argument debate list things we're doing. If you want to rank the top, you know, the, the 12 Van Halen Studio albums, we'd love to hear what you got on that. Your top five favorite underrated Van Halen songs, which we did in the last episode let us hear it sammy versus dave what you got This and is and the, you ultimate the third singer,
2: if you bring up the third singer we will block you uh we'd
1: love to hear from <laughs> you guys about any- yes, we'd
3: love to hear from you but uh yeah this but fun uh, fun stuff here and uh we've got one episode left in our uh, eddie van halen series we are going to hear uh, one song to take us out after ld uh hits us with the socials
1: all right so if you think that we're doing a great job and you would like to support us you can do that on patreon.com at patreon.com backslash rock and roll heaven you can find us on twitter at rock and roll lt our instagram rock and roll heaven lt our facebook rock and roll heaven pod still not saying our website you can email us at rock and roll heaven lt at gmail.com and please make sure new year new you check out the other awesome podcasts on the pantheon network at pantheonpodcast.com Uh, There's some awesome shows that if you like the show, you should should certainly check them out. I said, certainly, certainly, certainly. Certainly. All right. I think it's about time for me to go uh, to bed. (laughs) All right. So thank you guys for checking this episode out. Make sure you check out the next episode in our series on Eddie Van Halen. And from all of us here at the Rock and Roll Heaven family, we hope that you had a fantastic New Year's. Wow. It's going to be like the 30th when this airs. So never mind. (laughs) i don't know what time is anymore (laughs) all right thanks guys
2: uh we'll talk to you next week sorry glass tiger we're out of time see you next week
3: (laughs) everybody as we go out we have one last song this is the last song that sammy Hagar recorded with van halen before exiting and it did end up on the soundtrack to twister so we're going to sign off from rock and roll heaven with humans being (laughs)